Hello, I'm Tara, and you're listening to You Should Write a Book, the podcast. Today I'm sharing how the title of this podcast came to be and why so many people tell me, after hearing my brief intro, you should write a book. So here we go. As many of you know, or have at least figured out by now, I am an ordained Anglican priest. Although I haven't worked as one in over four years, the fact remains that I'm still an ordained priest in the Anglican Church, no matter how much the current bishop would like to deny that. When I'm asked about who I am and how I ended up here, my brief synopsis goes like this. I met my husband at a nudist park. Turns out he was a rock star. Our son was an honored guest at our wedding, and then I trained to become a priest. A rather unorthodox path, I admit. At the age of 26, I found myself suddenly single, having survived an abusive relationship. While I was healing myself, I didn't date. Not so much as a dinner with a man. That abusive partner had introduced me to a nudist park located just outside of Hamilton, and it turned out that I really liked being naked. (laughs) Being naked and seeing other people with no clothes on normalizes the human body, and you come to realize that very few, if any, are perfect. Mind you, this was a family park, so it was intentionally unsexualized. And people were just doing people things like sunning at the poolside, playing volleyball in the sandpit, enjoying a drink and a game of cards, and often, actually almost always, a guitar or two appeared around a campfire at night. 18 months after leaving my abuser, it was in this setting that I met Chris. Chris was tall and handsome and tanned, a beautiful golden brown. He visited the park on the weekends with his five-year-old son and was, like everyone else, doing people things. I had noticed him on a few occasions and his son was the star of the Olympic-sized swimming pool, but I hadn't thought of him particularly. I was pretty closed down. One day, he finally got up his nerve and came over to my campsite to introduce himself. He was nervous, and the words came tumbling out like a waterfall, giving me very few opportunities to respond. He said that he'd been watching me on previous visits and was wondering if I'd like to see him again. We exchanged numbers, and so began our very heated romance. Have I mentioned that I hadn't dated in a year and a half? And that he was simply gorgeous? I'll leave the next few weeks to your imaginations. He told me that he had been a rock star, bonafide. I went to his parents' place where he'd been staying while in university and found that their garage was kind of a shrine. Gold and platinum albums on the wall and Juno Awards on the piano. Yep, bonafide rock star. He traveled with a band called the Paolas, and I laughed when I said I might have had his poster on my wall when I was 13. He was 10 years older than me and had been winning all of his awards when I was in my early teen years. 
Their big hit song was Eyes of a Stranger, and even to this day, all I have to do is sing one refrain, and most every Canadian knows the song. You've got the eyes of a stranger. He had been married, was now divorced, and he saw his son every other weekend. After his music career came to an end, he decided to become a teacher like his father. So he studied music at university and then went on to earn his teaching degree in Buffalo, New York, just across the border. During this whirlwind romance, he was busy packing up to move to Merritt Island in Florida to take on his first position as a music teacher. Navigating this was very hard emotionally because I had come to like him very much. He was the polar opposite of my abuser. He was not controlling at all. He was innocent in many ways and didn't have a threatening bone in his body. I was safe with him, and I really wanted to feel safe. We had our tearful goodbyes, promising to call each other often. I was running my own business at this point, providing case management and behavioral support for individuals with acquired brain injuries. This meant that I was on call almost all of the time, and I couldn't follow him south. Shortly after he left, I went to my doctor to receive my birth control shot. I'd been on Depot Provera for over two years, a shot in the arm every three months. One of the delightful side effects was that I no longer had a monthly period. I loved that. In discussion with my doctor, it turns out that I was overdue for my shot, so he suggested that I take a pregnancy test just in case. The office had a lab right next door, so I peed into a little bottle and waited. When the doctor returned, I heard him pull the chart off the outside of the door and say, oh shit. He entered the room and simply held out a yellow sticky note that said, positive. Oh shit. Clearly, I was a little too overdue for my birth control shot. Instead of going home, I went straight to my parents' house with the Spanish bar cake. That was the signal to my mom that we had to talk. We sat across the table from one another, sipping tea and eating the cake with spoons right from the box. I pulled out the yellow sticky and put it beside the cake. She looked up and said, oh, shit. <laughs> yes, indeed. Oh, shit. Bedlam ensued. I am a firm believer in the right of women to end their pregnancy, but I was in a privileged enough position to be able to decide for myself, and I decided that no matter what Chris wanted, I was going to have this baby. Our phone calls were brutal. I couldn't spring this on him over the phone. I had to see him. I had to somehow get my butt down to Florida to tell this man that I'd known for less than three months that we were going to have a baby. I packed up my car, gathering some things that he'd forgotten from his parents' place, along with enough for me to stay with him for a week or two, and I drove to the border. I drove to the border between Fort Erie and Buffalo, New York, a crossing I'd crossed hundreds of times. I'd grown up going to our land in upstate New York, and my sister had a trailer in Batavia, just an hour past Buffalo, that I'd used so often. 
border crossings were easy. Except on that day, I had a border crossing guard who needed to meet his quota or something. (laughs) Please pull over so we can check your vehicle and your story. And while we're doing that, just, just sit in on that bench in this little cell. But we'll leave the door open. And even though the baby inside of me was the size of a lima bean at this stage, my bladder felt as if it was the size of a pea. May I please use the washroom again, please? Four hours. Here's what they decided. They decided that because I had my own company, I had nothing tying me to Canada as far as employment. They decided that because I was taking down items for Chris's apartment that I was planning to move there and to have my baby there. I wanted nothing less. No offense to Americans, but that's not where I was intending to have a baby. There was no way my baby was going to be born anywhere other than Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. They didn't believe me. They confiscated my car. I had to call my parents to come and get me and all of my belongings and drive me back home. Oh, and I was told I wasn't allowed to cross the border again. Fuck that. (laughs) I had to tell Chris that we were having a baby and I wasn't going to do it over the phone. My friend Diane and I had been frequent border crossers over the years. We often went to stay at my sister's trailer in Batavia so we were used to crossing with ease. One time, when asked about the purpose of our trip, I blurted out that all men were assholes. Thankfully, the border guard thought that was funny and waved us through. So, seven days after having my car confiscated and being told not to cross into the U.S. again, Diane and I crossed over at Niagara Falls, a much smaller and more tourist-friendly border. I think we told them we were going over for wings. Once we crossed, she drove me back to Buffalo to the bus station where I bought my ticket to Florida and off I went. Gotta tell them we're having a baby. Gotta tell them we're having a baby. The one and only time I've ever been to New York City was on that trip. I saw the lights on the skyline briefly before the bus went underground to the bus station. There I had to switch buses, and man, that station was packed. I stood in line with my duffel bag, desperate not to miss my connection, but did I mention that my bladder was the size of a pea? There was a lovely couple behind me who were taking their grandson down to Georgia to visit family. The woman put her hand on my shoulder and said, Oh, dearie, just go to the washroom and we'll watch your bag. (laughs) At this point, I was so grateful, I just ran off. And against all of the odds, against all of the horrific scenes played out on Law & Order about New York City, the couple, and my duffel bag, were right where I left them. I sat with them on the bus. I still hadn't quite committed to quitting smoking. You can insert your judgment here. So at every stop, I disembarked and had a smoke. The further south we went, the more I began to notice that the white passengers weren't really talking to me anymore. I'd been sitting with the couple who had saved me from peeing my pants in New York, and they were black. 
and black and white don't mix in the South. Ugh. Anyway, I ended up in Jacksonville at around two in the morning. Chris had driven from his place near Cape Canaveral to pick me up to save me from having to spend the night waiting for the next bus. He was happy to see me and we packed my stuff into his piece of shit Beretta and we started the long drive down to Merritt. He talked and talked and talked and talked as if he hadn't spoken to another human being in years. And all I heard was the refrain repeating in my very own head, gotta tell him we're having a baby, gotta tell him we're having a baby. When we arrived at his condo, we decided on a midnight swim. It was there in that pool that I finally managed to get the words out. I'm pregnant. I'm keeping it. I'd like for you to be in my life, but I'll do it with or without you. Turns out he was happy. He made me promise to continue the pregnancy no matter what. It seemed odd, but I'd come to understand why he'd said that much, much later. It was August, and Florida is hot, and I wanted to die. There was an encephalitis scare at the time, and it was carried by mosquitoes. And being pregnant, it was a terrifying thought that I might come down with it. It was way too hot to leave the condo during the day, and at dawn and dusk, when the temperature was more moderate, the mosquitoes were abundant, so I couldn't go out then either. I was miserable. I was never dry. The humidity was almost 100%, 100% of the time. Every morning I would drop Chris at work and drive around for a while. Did I mention that the Beretta was a piece of shit? To be more specific, it had no air conditioning and the driver's side window didn't roll up and down. Yep, I was miserable. During this time, Chris's parents drove down with his son. We went to Disney and I had to avoid all of the rides. I kept asking Chris when he was going to tell his mom and dad about the pregnancy and he kept putting me off. His mom had ovarian cancer at that point and it had metastasized. So she was drinking this awful kind of tea sold to her as a cure. It was snake oil. My particular version of morning sickness was nausea at the smell of raw meat. I would be in the kitchen making dinner for everyone, cooking up the ground beef, trying so hard not to throw up. And as soon as I served everyone dinner, I'd leave the condo while they ate, just trying to keep the saltine crackers down. It was miserable. After his parents and his son left, Chris finally got up the nerve to tell them about the pregnancy. It only took 1,500 miles and half a bottle of rye to get him to blurt the words out to them over the phone. His dad's response was, well... I guess you have another child support payment. I was devastated. By this time, I was four months pregnant and I had just begun to feel that butterfly wings of this little human that was growing inside of me. The first time I felt it, the baby became completely real to me. 
And I was fiercely protective of this little person who was sucking all of my energy by developing fingernails and lungs and hair. And in an instant, it had been reduced to a child support payment. And I was pissed. We ended up packing everything up and heading back home in October. Chris had been fired. Turns out that while he was a gifted musician, he wasn't so great as a teacher. I should say that on Merritt Island, it is split literally by the railroad tracks. He had a class of 40 students for choral music and the black kids wouldn't sing that honky music and the white kids wouldn't sing that beep music. It was awful. It was bedlam. And it wasn't fair to a first year teacher. We packed all of his music equipment up in his cube van and I followed in the piece of shit Beretta. He lost me while driving around Savannah, Georgia. When I finally caught up to him, I made him pull into a rest stop and I beat my hands on his chest saying, never do that to me again. I don't know where I am and it's not okay for you to leave me behind. We finally made it home. He moved into the house I owned. The next few months were taken up with me trying to rescue my car from the impound lot in Buffalo where it had been sitting since it was confiscated. Chris was starting a new teaching position in Oakville, about an hour's drive from home in rush hour traffic, and helping out his parents. By this time, it was clear that his mother, Sonia, was not long for this world. And oddly, it fell to me to help look after her. She didn't much like me when we met, but I had some caregiving skills that eased her distress. It was early January when we were all called to the hospital to say our goodbyes. It was then that I got to meet Chris's ex-wife for the first time while I tried to hide my pregnant belly, which was growing inches by the day. Late that night, while Chris was working as a sound engineer for bands 90 minutes from home, I got the call that she'd passed. I waited until he walked in the door at 3 a.m. to tell him the news. And so began the next part of our journey together. <laughs>